You're listening to the Sooner Scooter Show, a proud member of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm Eric G. from 97.1, the sports animal in Tulsa. Before we get into the meat of today's show, do us a huge favor. Please give us a five-star rating and write a written review. Uh, The five-star rating helps us elevate our content and expand our ever-growing audience. The written review helps us know what content you want so we can give you more of that. And because we care about you and we appreciate you taking the time and effort to do that, if you will take a picture of that five-star review and the written review and then send it to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com, he'll hook you up with a Heartland College Sports koozie. I didn't have time to make a rundown for today's show because I just wanted to give you raw reaction to what Brent Venable said on our radio station or Dylan Gabriel said um, during Big 12 Media Days. Um, Obviously, I want to get to what Mike Gundy said. So that's what this show is all about. And there's so much content that actually came out of Big 12 Media Days. We'll be focusing on it early next week as well. So let's get the whole Bedlam thing out of the way. Because that was the elephant in the room. As OU and Texas come for their last Big 12 media day, the SEC and Bedlam hung over everybody's head. And just when you think Big 12 media day is going to be a snooze because players and coaches are going to give you a lot of stock answers, Mike Gundy pulls it right out of the fire, makes it all about himself, which actually I don't really mind, uh, but gives us something to talk about. And when the the question was asked by a reporter from the OU Daily about the future of Bedlam, here's what Mike Gundy had to say. Um, I'm a very traditionalist when it comes to conference rivalries, games and such. Uh, I'm sure you're referring to the Bedlam game as being the last one. The Bedlam game is over because Oklahoma chose to leave the Big 12. Period. It's got nothing to do with Oklahoma State. So, do I like that? No. Do I like that conferences have broken up in the past? No, I don't. But I also know that we have to control what we can control, which is um, conference realignment is there. It's probably still going on. And wherever we all end up and whatever schedule they give us to play, we go play it and do the best we can. 24 hours later, Brent Venables had the opportunity to respond. And here's the OU perspective. Look, I'm not in control of whether or not we play Oklahoma State. I love college football. I love the traditions of the game. I love rivalry games. Um, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State have played for over 100 years, and Oklahoma has been dang good in those games and for a long time. And uh, But whether or not we play them in the future, nobody's asking me uh, what I think. If they do ask me, uh, I'll tell them what I think. I'd love to play the game. but. Uh, you know, uh, you know, we're going to play the schedule that they put in front of us. Now, let's run both of these comments through the BS meter. First and foremost, Brent Venables is being a lot more truthful than Mike Gundy is. Mike, Mike Gundy's not wrong when he says Bedlam died because OU went to the SEC. That's not an untrue statement. And what you always have to look at, I always tell people this, don't listen to what people say. Listen to what they don't say. And what Mike Gundy didn't say is, I would be really excited to continue the Bedlam series because it's our most important game of the year. That never came up. He said he liked college football. He liked tradition. Didn't like the fact that conferences were falling apart. But he didn't necessarily say that he wanted to continue to play Bedlam. 
And if Mike Gundy was being 100% truthful and not taking a page out of the political playbook, which is to completely play to your base and to get them all fired up and telling them things that they want to hear, affirming their beliefs as it were, Mike Gundy would have told you, look, I've only got three wins against OU. And the series record speaks for itself. OU's got 91 wins. We as OSU don't even have 20. There's only been less than a handful of ties. So more often than not, I'm going to lose than I'm going to win. So yeah, why would I want to continue to play this? Plus, my fan base keeps giving me crap over not beating this team. So yeah, let's just end it. Let's end it now. I am glad this year's going to be the last one. Win or lose, I'm sick of living in these guys' shadow, which OSU will continue to do. Okay, there's just there's no way OSU can't live in OU shadow unless the Sooners just take some unexpected nosedive into below 500 land for the next five years and OSU starts reeling off a grip of conference championships in the Big 12, and that's not going to happen. Okay, um, I would say OSU is not going to rip off a grip in the Big 12, and OU is not going to just descend into below 500 land because, as I've said you know, way too often. OU's too good, and there's too many people that want to see that program succeed that it's just not going to happen. So there, period. End of story on that. As far as what Brett Venables had to say, I love the fact that he kind of thumbed Gundy in the eye on this and thumbed OSU in the eye. And part of it is, look, I'm just going to be completely truthful on this podcast. It's getting old to hear Oklahoma State fans talk about how OU's going to fail in the Big 12. And it's more than asinine to think that OU would ever run from this game under any circumstances. But to kind of stick the thumb in the eye of the Oklahoma State fan who's been whining ever since this news came out and remind them just how well OU's done in this game was absolutely beautiful. So from you know, back to the political standpoint. So for both of them, you, you got to give them major points for playing to their base. Uh, but in, in, in all in all, let's just celebrate the fact that Bedlam is coming to an end and OU can move on to the Southeastern Conference and continue again to play teams that are a little bit more of their caliber than what they are going to play in the Big 12. And I hope, you know, I don't think that was necessarily the attitude of OU walking into Big 12 media days, uh, but if that's the attitude that they had, no one would have blamed them. No one would have blamed Texas, although Texas probably shouldn't be walking in with a lot of swag uh, either, Continuing, you know, considering that their season was subpar. But, hey, at least this year Texas is actually embracing being picked first in the Big 12 versus cowering under it. Who knows? Things may change uh, once the season starts. Um, Brent Venables did sit down and did talk with the guys on WWLS, the sports animal. And if you don't know, we at 97.1, the sports animal in Tulsa, do carry a lot of that programming. So it was Mark Rogers, it was Jim Traber interviewing Brent Venables today. And Brent Venables was asked about Running the defense, would he call plays? Here's what he had to say. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be uh, involved with it. You know, I've got, I've got a lot of experience. I got a lot to bring to the table. We got a tremendous staff, um, but it's what I love to do, and um, I think that that'll help us. Uh, you know, as opposed to hurt us. If you've listened to my show or this podcast for any period of time, 
then you know I'm not crazy about head coaches calling defense or head coaches being the main playing call being the main play caller on offense. My feeling is, and I'm not saying I'm right, is that a head coach runs the program and allows his coordinators to run the offense and his coordinators to run the defense, and then you're supposed to make sure that you spend an even amount of time with both, or maybe you spend a little bit more time, but not much, but a little bit more time with one if it needs to be improved. And that was always my gripe about Lincoln Riley is that he never put any emphasis on defense, never spent enough time with it. It was all about him, his ego, the play calling, etc. Well, and while I'm not crazy, you know, while I'm not doing backflips about Brent Venables calling the defense over Ted Roof or somebody else for that matter, in this case, it's warranted because it's Brent Venables' butt who's on the line right now. If OU were to go eight and four or worse, everybody's getting fired. Okay. It's not like Brent Venables is going to be able to turn around and go, well, we weren't very good on defense. We're eight and four. They were making a lot of mistakes. So I'm just going to fire Ted Roof and hire someone else. No, Brent's gone. And then, and then everybody else on the ship is, is, is going to go down with him. So when you are in that position as, as head coach, really the only logical thing to do is take control of your own destiny. I mean, Brent Venables talked a lot today about things that he can control. Well, one of the things he certainly believes that he can tr- control is the defense. And I think he probably, in some respects, feels a little bit better about having his assistants back if he is calling the defense. Because that way he can say, well, I was the one that did it. If they're going to fire anyone, they need to fire me. And, of course, you'll go along with me, but at least I can take the blame. It's me doing it. So while, again, I wouldn't call the situation ideal, you have to understand where Brent Venables is coming from. And who knows if OU wins 10 games, 11 games this year, and they go into the SEC, maybe he backs off and becomes a little bit more of a CEO. But with as dire as things are or as crucial as things are this year at OU, And with as monumental a turnaround as they need to have, go for it. Go go ahead and go for it. All right. Um, Speaking of the defense, um, Brent Venables did state today, again, on WWLS and 97.1 The Sports Animal, that in order for OU to win, there's going to need to be a lot of improvement. You know, I expect us to be better in every part of what we do defensively what the you know it's hard to put a measuring stick on where that's going to land when it's all said and done you know uh you know make no mistake but we have more competitive depth which leads to better competitive stamina for four quarters we played the worst quarter uh on the season in the fourth quarter you know from top to bottom that was our worst performing performance on both sides of the ball fourth quarter so what happened well we didn't play enough guys well we didn't have enough quality guys to play we have better competitive depth on both sides uh, to me, it means you should play more guys, which means you know you're going to have fresher guys to play better, more precise, more physical, more sure of themselves late in the game. You know, we lost five of seven games in the last minute and a half of the game. What happened? A uh, lots of stuff happened. Whether it's coaching, whether it's scheme, whether it's um, the lack of precision. You know, in three of our four three-point losses, you know, we we turned the ball over or turned it over on downs in screen position. Well, you can't do that. If you listen to Brent Venables talk. There isn't a person in the program that has a big 
bigger sense of urgency than he does. And from everything that you're hearing from players this spring, that sense of urgency was passed down to them. And it kind of makes you wonder, well, where was that sense of urgency last year? You know, was everybody just in, in, in a little bit too much of a honeymoon phase on, wow, man, I'm the head coach of the University of Oklahoma. It, it doesn't get better than this. You know, eventually we'll turn it around because we're OU, because we've always done it. I don't know if that was the case or not. But I do know that the defense is going to improve this year it, at least, it, I mean, it has to. I mean, come on, it can't get any worse, right? And if Brent Venables was being 100% honest with you and honest with me, what he'd say about the defense is, hey, um, I think it's going to be pretty good. We've worked our tails off this spring. Everybody knows what's expected. But until I actually see them get out there and get off the field when they've got a team in third and long, because we've lost count of how many third and longs that we gave up last year, and no team, and third or seven or more should feel confident that they're going to continue a drive. Until I actually see them do it, I can't tell you how good they're going to be. But people don't want to hear that from coaches, and coaches don't want to talk themselves into corners, so what you get is a lot of nothingness. You get a lot of vague terms in a salesman-type manner, and the coaches are just hoping we bite, that we think things are better than what they actually are, and that we're feeling really confident about where the team is this year because they've got to sell hope. And Brent Venables is doing an admirable job of selling hope. So one more on Brent Venables here. Um, and this is the thing that probably stuck out the most to me on this. There are not, you realize there are 97 players, 97 players who are either in their first or second year at OU. And not that they're, okay, not not that OU is the only one going through this problem in college football, but you as a fan are going to be a lot more excited and certainly a lot more confident in your team if you've got experience coming back. Well, that's not, that's just not the case with Oklahoma. So here's Brent talking about how he's going to get all the new guys that come into OU to blend with the current guys on the roster. You know, there's a development piece uh, from the returners. There's certainly, uh, we've recruited two systems on, on both sides of the ball and then the, the transfer portal. I think one of the, the, the critical areas of that's going to determine our success is how quickly can we bring these, you know, 63 players, how quickly can we get them to blend in with our returners? How quickly can we develop chemistry and cohesion and, and trust and relationships? We've worked really hard. I'm going to keep that piece of audio in my back pocket for future days. I mean, let, let's face it, you could probably play that piece of audio every year because it almost feels like that's where we are in college football. We had a listener... Um, ask us today is like we, we asked the question if you could ask Brent Venables one question at media day what would it be and one guy asked what I think is a, a question that should be asked of every single college every, every single college football coach right now which is how many kids in your recruiting class do you think will stick around for at least three years and I'm thinking in a class of 25 if you've got 10 that can contribute, right? So in a class of 25, you've got 10 that contribute. That leaves you with, what, 15 that you've got questions on? And maybe 10 of those 15 would leave and get into the transfer portal if they weren't getting the playing time that they deserve. So you've got 10 that are contributing in a meaningful way. 
another 10 that have blown out, and then you've got another five that are kind of floating in this gray area that maybe you want, maybe you don't want. But because of your lack of depth for losing that other 10, you you hang on to them. So that's a total of, what, 15? 15 that hang around in a in a recruiting class. And who knows? That may be... That may be a high estimate. That may be a low estimate. But I, but if I'm a college coach, every kid I sign, I'm just hoping I can at least get two years out of them. You know, will they give me two years? Will they allow me to develop them? Or is it, hey, I got to play right away? And that's the thing. You're, you're put in a situation because of all that, because of everything that I just talked about. Because A, kids want to play. And B, your numbers aren't as good as they used to be. You're forced into playing guys a lot sooner than maybe you would have. Guys that you may not have played in the past and would have sat on the sidelines or redshirted, you're just not doing that now. And and, and that's God, that, that's a sad thing about college football. I guess the good thing is, is that it, it's supposed to quell dynasties, but right now Georgia, Alabama kind of tell us that uh, even the new rules of college football haven't taken effect enough yet to uh, to slow them down any at all. We spoke to Dylan Gabriel for a few minutes today on the Pat Jones Show uh, on our station. I uh, just wanted to get a plug in for that. And uh, one thing with Dylan that I think will help tremendously is that deep running back room that, that OU has right now. So here, here is Dylan Gabriel talking about how the running backs can take pressure off him and whether or not – they or is it the offensive line group that might be the best room in in OU's football program? I think in general, you know, the 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 run game and uh, just football in general, you got to have a good run game and a good running back right behind a, a great old line. And um, I, I do believe those are our two strongest position groups, just uh, with the experience, but also um, just how talented they are um, and how eager they've been. Uh, in the offseason to work. Um, just super impressed with, with those two groups. Part of me wishes I was a big worshiper of all the offensive gurus that are out there now, whether it's you know Jeff Levy or uh, the dude that went out west or, or, or whatever. But I'm not. I'm just I'm not enamored. I'm not enamored with offensive play callers. I'm not enamored with, with, with quote-unquote creative offensive play callers. I like my football old school. Um, not, you know, not that I, not that I won't watch new football. Obviously I watch new football. Not only is it my job, but I still enjoy the game a hell of a lot. So with the offensive gurus comes a lot of RPOs, right? The run pass option where quarterbacks are calling their number. One thing that could really help Dylan Gabriel this year is to run more design runs with those running backs. Give guys like Sawchuck the ball as much as you can. Let the offensive line eat. Let them go punish people because they love that. Offensive linemen love to take love to take people's manhood away. They like to maul people. If you're giving them the opportunity to do that, that'll free things up for Dylan Gabriel. It'll help your receiving core, and overall, you'll have a better offense. And I always say that helps the defense, keeps them off the field, keeps them fresh, and maybe they can go start getting you some, some three and outs because you've demoralized the other defense and that offense that you've got sitting on the sideline for the other team, it's rusty. That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that that Dylan Gabriel has more design runs, less RPOs this year, and ends up being successful. By the way, speaking of being successful, uh, we asked Dylan, what are you doing? How, how, How did you go about 
uh, improving from last year where, yeah, sure, you led the Big 12 in passing, but OU was below 500 and it wasn't the year that uh, you necessarily wanted. Yeah, in the spring, uh, you know, starting really in January in the winter workouts, uh, just sitting down with Coach Levy, um, watching the games, all the games through, and then some, uh, just trying to get better on the film aspect of, you know, being more efficient, finding the, the easy things that I could take and, um, you know, create more positive plays. And then also just being extremely critical in our situational football. You know, we had you know five of the seven games come down to, uh, you know, one possession. Uh, that, that could be the difference. And if there's anything I learned is that, you know, the difference between winning and losing can, can be really minuscule, but that's why dialing into the details of, uh, of finding ways to win is super important. That starts with situational football. And then for me, just being extremely efficient, you know, and that that starts with, you know, my film work, you know, with Coach Leb, but then also uh, physically how, how can I get better um, so I have ultimate confidence every time I walk in, in the stadium. Let's not forget that Dylan Gabriel was <laughs> – what was the 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 what was the Big Twelve offensive newcomer of the year? All right, I'm I'm hard on him. I criticize him, but injuries. Um, there were a lot of other problems with that team. Certainly, he didn't have anything to do with the defense. And in just talking to him today, I got the feeling that he he's way more comfortable this year than he was last year. You know, because it wasn't just a matter of. I mean, look, we know he knew Jeff Lebby's offense, but he had to re he had to relearn who Jeff Lebby was. He had to he had to build back up that working relationship with with Jeff Lebby. Plus, you're in Norman, you're in a whole new place. And Norman and Orlando, two very different worlds. And the Big Twelve, at least at that time, was a very different world than the AAC. So you're so the, there was a lot of growing pains to be expected for sure with Dylan Gabriel. You'll see a much more improved, sure of himself quarterback when he goes out on the field this year. Look, that is just—I I feel like in you know 20 minutes, that's just the tip of the iceberg that we've got here uh, on the Sooner Schooner Show. We'll be back next week to break more of this down. We'll hear more from Dylan Gabriel, more from Brent Venables, and uh, we'll have some other surprises for you as well. So until then, may God bless you and your family, as the great Jackie Moon always says. Everybody love everybody. And to quote Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Don Cornelius, love, peace, and soul.